Welcome to Breadcrumbs, the podcast by WorkSync. I am here with a great group of people. Could you please take a minute to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Keith Richter. I'm a product owner here at WorkSync. Good afternoon, Joe Thompson, product manager with WorkSync. Good afternoon, Ben Lagden, uh, commercial director at Grover Technology. Um, GT Clocks here in the US, uh, manufacturer of time clocks. So Ben, tell me about GT Clocks. GT Clocks are a time clock manufacturer. We've been around a long time, over 30 years manufacturing. Um, originally time clocks with like punch cards and uh, through to today, touchscreen devices with biometrics, allowing employees in the workplace to not only punch in and out, um, but to perform many of the self-service um, time and attendance um, functions they might need to do. Uh, book leave, um, change rotors, view time cards, um, attestations in states such as California, you know, everything that's needed to um, for them to um, perform their normal job function, but also for the business to ensure that they remain compliant with current legislations. So I think it's safe to say that this group of people knows a little bit about biometrics. And that's today's topic. So let's get into it. Tell me a little bit about the history of biometrics in timekeeping. Who's going first? Let's start with ancient Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> I think biometrics um, have evolved to identify people. And I think the use of them within timekeeping specifically is to prevent payroll fraud, where people are punching each other in and out. Um, so it's a natural evolution for those technologies to ensure that the person present is the person that should be present uh, and, and to prevent fraud. So that's how it started. Um, Technology started with hand geometry, where it measures the, the, the actual geometry of the whole hand, um, which was a good start. It was relatively inaccurate. Um, you would usually have had to have um, the person identify themselves first. You have to tell the machine who you are. And all the way through to today with some of the more modern technologies like facial recognition, which is becoming part and parcel of everyday life um, through the airport and um, in, other, in other uses on your mobile phone, for instance. So it's a natural evolution, really, but it, it, ultimately to identify people and to ensure the person present is the correct person. I like that you're saying identify because um, with the hand punch, for the longest time, it, you had to verify who you were first. And so that kind of technology had to overcome that aspect of it. And the accuracy of it wasn't that great. But if you're only comparing the first image to today, um, it was a lot easier to handle it with the older technology. Um, but things have evolved quite a bit over time. You know, and, and the, the technology has evolved now into facial recognition, iris, which we'll get into later. But, you know, it's come, come quite a long way where, you know, people can walk up to a time clock. And in this day and age with pandemic, post-pandemic, wherever we're at, you know, people can walk up to a time clock, not touch it, be recognized, be punched in and handle all of that. So, you know, it's saving hopefully time if employees punching in quickly, but hopefully not missing out on sync leave also because they're not actually touching anything physical that everyone else is touching. So that actually gets right into my next question. So I think sometimes the term biometrics, you know, evoke certain images. Keith, you had mentioned a couple types of biometrics, but maybe we can discuss a little bit more about how they work. Well, you know, we'll start with one that's been popular lately during the pandemic, facial recognition. You know, I think you're all kind of Understanding what that is, you know, it doesn't just take a photo and compare it to a photo, but it actually takes measurements and points on the face and then compares that to what you've already saved. And that's been pretty big lately, mainly because of what I just mentioned. You can walk up to the clock, be recognized, 
and be punched in without touching the clock. You know, there's also finger reading. You know, that has come a long way too. I was one of those people that could not be really recognized by some of the old finger readers. And where the finger reader technology is today, I don't have that same issue. So, you know, right now, I think those are the two biggest. There's also Iris, which some people really enjoy. I'm a big fan of it myself. I think a lot of what distinguishes different biometric options is how invasive they are. Um, when you talk about facial rec, uh, as you're walking down the street, how many CCTV systems are capturing you? How many, how many cameras in the world have a picture of you? And how long have employers been taking pictures of their employees? Um, which is a whole lot different than your fingerprint or capturing an image of your iris itself in your eyeball. Um, it's probably the least invasive. Uh, and you know, it's funny, the, the hand reading technology, um, everyone always thought it was more invasive than it was. You know, employees thought it's getting your palm print. Is it connected to uh, Homeland Security? Is it measuring who I am? It was just taking a picture of the top of your hand. Um, there, was, there was more illusion to how secure it was than, than reality. But the, the least invasive, but also works, has been working really well for us, has been the facial recognition. And I think um, how invasive it is, is directly proportional to have the, you know, the acceptance by the employee to use such technologies. And once they realize, as Joe just said, that your face is being captured every day by CCTV all day long. And so therefore it's just a natural extension of a technology like FaceRec to be used and could be used in those circumstances. When you think, use things like Iris, then that's a different thing. People are less likely to want to give up their personal data, their, their, you know, the PII um, for things like RS and even fingerprint to some extent. Uh, however, the technology that we implement in the devices themselves, um, no image is ever kept of any finger uh, or any face. It's always uh, a mathematical representation of, of, of that finger, a, a mapping of it, uh, and it's only ever used to compare that person to themselves um, for the purpose of identification. So, um, once people realize that, it's much more likely that they'll accept the technology, uh, which is, you know, a factor to adoption. People need to have to accept it and understand how it works and understand how the data is going to be used. And we'll come on to privacy concerns later, um, but there are many, many aspects to that. It really doesn't live up to the television show that shows the fingerprints going whizzing by, like we're going to find this criminal. Um, it, it, it's, it is a lot more boring than that. Like, like Ben mentioned, it's, it's more of a mathematical thing to get to that representation. We'll capture another representation later and see if they match up. So let's talk a little bit about securities and some other common misconceptions that, you, that we often hear about. You know, Joe, you sort of touched on it. So what are some common misconceptions that you hear about? You know, one of the ones I heard out in the field, which I thought was rather humorous, is you're not sharing these pictures with any law enforcement agencies or anything, which I was like, you know, absolutely not. But it made me suspicious of that person at the same time. <laughs> like, I wonder why you're worried about that. But, you know, like, like Ben said, they're just keeping that mathematical equation so we can recognize you the next time you step up to the clock. It's not something, you know, we're not going all meta on everybody and sharing all this information. We're using it just to recognize employees so they can start their work day. But it's not like the camera didn't catch them coming into the building. What the camera didn't catch coming into the building is their iris or their fingerprint. So we don't need to worry about biometric timekeeping or clocks capturing your information. It's really cameras, security systems put in place by your employer. We do have to worry about it a little bit now because the laws are popping up that are ensuring mm -hmm. people's biometric security. And uh, so we've, we've been able to rely on a really valuable partner in our business relationship with GT Clocks to help us uh, 
incorporate facial biometrics along with some really industry-leading security management of everything that's coming in and out of those terminals um, through their platform. Yeah, so GT Clocks is very concerned with helping their clients stay compliant. So tell me a little bit about the things that you look for. Well, I think legislation is what it comes down to and the evolving state of that legislation against why some of that legislation has been put in place in the first place and the perception that this is a, you know, law enforcement type standard of facial recognition where everyone's being monitored. What we're talking about here is people consenting to the use of these biometrics for the purpose of time and attendance. And it is only happening when they approach a device uh, under their consent. So um, privacy legislation in the US has evolved. Many states, including Illinois, um, with the Biometric Information Privacy Act, um, basically the right to class action um, uh, for not following these, these rules can be very costly. Uh, statutory damages of uh, $5,000 for each willful and or reckless violation. Statutory damages of $1,000 for each negligent violation. Many examples in the industry of, of some, some big numbers. Six flags, $36 million. Walmart, $10 million. Top Golf, $2.6 million. So this is a big, a big thing. So what do we do to help people and businesses remain compliant and, and give people that, um, and employees that, that, that level of trust that, um, that this has been done correctly? So we take care of consent for the biometrics being taken. We make sure that the, uh, and so they are consenting to their use for the purpose that they're being used for, for a period of time. And that retention period is uh, strictly adhered to. They'll be reminded to reconsent. They'll be deleted if they do not reconsent, or they leave the business. Uh, also, encryption is part of this legislation, so we have to encrypt the templates at rest, so they are secure and they can't be broken into and used for other purposes, uh, and in transit, and when they're stored in in any any software system. So all of those aspects are taken incredibly seriously by GT Clocks, and we we implement the you know the latest uh, technology in order to to secure um, secure these these devices. You mentioned templates, and I think uh, for those following along at home, um, that's going back to that mathematical representation of what your biometric really is. Well, it breaks down into a much smaller template than it does a picture. But it's got to be interesting to watch from the UK as we are or are not evolving in 50 different places in the US on this legislation, where as opposed to where you have to deal with in, in the EU uh, with GDPR mm. and the kind of things that are happening on, on your side of the pond. The basis for the legislation is slightly different with GDPR. It's about the, um, the lawful basis to collect the data in the first place, and that must take precedence. Um, here, a lot of the legislation is based around consent, mostly. But we're seeing that actually filter across, and more and more of the, um, of the proposed legislation is, around, is of a GDPR style. Um, so that will become more prevalent. It's an exciting subject we've got. <laughs> <laughs> Mathematical representations and law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Let's talk about considerations. If you're a client and you are presented with a biometric option, how do you determine if it's a right fit for you? I think environment is key. I mean, finger biometrics have come on so far compared to where they were, um, and they will deal with pretty much all environments. Um, that said, you know, if someone's working down a coal mine, they shredded their fingers, or they've, they, you know, or they're not following usual PPE practices in those, those environments, then Fingers can get damaged, and that might not be the best choice for that environment. That's where facial biometric might be more. And there, um, facial biometrics 
might not be suited to being outdoors uh, or in, in very changeable light environments and that sort of thing. So really, it's um, it's down to um, the implementation teams to really advise correctly for what the, the best biometric solution would be in any given circumstance. And there's always a good fit. Um, it's just about identifying it correctly and putting the right recommendations in place. So tell me about what's coming next. We talked a little bit about history of biometrics. What? How is this technology improving and why? Well, there's always value in making sure that people punching in are who they say they are. Um, one of my one of the things I remember uh, in this industry 22 years ago last week was seeing a poster on the wall of a guy fly fishing, something Ben's into. And uh, it said, thanks to buddy punching, so-and-so is making 20 bucks an hour to fish. And it, it really hit home, like, this is, this is a problem that organizations, some organizations do have to deal with. Um, if you're expecting someone to be at a place at a time and you can't necessarily ensure that by spot checking, um, you want you want to be able to rely on a biometric to to say that they really were there. Um, so there's value in it. So why why to continually improve it? There's value in it, and there's value in it working well. Um, like Keith was talking about with the the onset of the pandemic, facial recognition became a touchless way uh, to confirm your presence at work, and that was that was really important to a lot of our clients. And you know, even with facial recognition, employees always find a way. It's like life from Jurassic Park, it finds a way. You know, they started trying to use pictures up in front of the clock and obviously there's spoofing methods we can enable so that they're unable to do that. But you know, employees always are finding new ways to try to punch in for their buddies because, hey, if I punch in for you today, you can punch in for me tomorrow so I can make $20 an hour, you know, fly fishing. So it's constantly evolving to try to figure out what they're gonna do. It's like almost, you know, the, the white hat hackers. What are the hackers going to do next to try to beat this and how can we beat them? And, you know, it's constantly something we're always considering to help, you know, our clients out. Yeah. Employers have to be on the watch for these scoundrels. <laughs> well, speaking of which, you know, Keith was uh, a prime example of a person who could not use a fingerprint mm -hmm. scanner. And just with this last iteration that we've been working with with GT Clocks, um, they're able to finally read his fingerprints. And there's various reasons that people's fingerprints aren't readable. Like Ben mentioned, you know, certain vocations will cause people's fingerprints to be worn down. Keith doesn't remember the 90s, but whatever organization he was a part of, uh, they burned his fingerprints off, we're pretty sure. Witness protection. Can't go, can't go into any more detail. But the technology is advanced, so now, now you can't hide. You can't, and it's funny because everyone was so skeptical over these these new finger readers when they were coming out. And, you know, they're not going to believe me saying, well, I can do now, I couldn't before, because I'm the one trying to sell that to them. But everyone we brought in front of the newest readers are always like, oh, my God, not only does it, pick, you know, recognize me, but it's lightning fast. I mean, the speed of this technology has evolved even in the last year and a half to where, you know, it's as quick as, you know, going up and just putting a badge in front of the clock. So, you know, we're saving, you know, speeding up the process also doing it accurate has been, you know, huge jumps just in the last few years, too. I think it boils down to, um, I think you're hitting it on the nail on the head, it boils down to four areas, is, is being inclusive of everyone in all of those edge cases, like you, Keith. Um, it's about throughput, making sure it's, it's as fast as it can be. And that really comes down to, um, you know, what environment you're in again. So if you're in a factory and you've got a lot of people arriving at a certain time of day, if you've got a traditional biometric solution, there may be a bit of a line, but the things are getting faster and faster, recognising people in less than a second. So I think some of the advances in technology will be around 
um, punching multiple people with one device at the same time. Um, and this is where some synergies with mobile phones will maybe come in. Um, knowing that person is there due to their proximity via Bluetooth or, or near-field communication. And then being able to pick those people out and ping them a message, you've been punched in, so they can walk through in a, in a high footfall environment. So these are some of the edge cases where maybe biometrics, you need more clocks, or maybe we can put less clocks in, but we can we can start to have a higher you know higher throughput uh, via some of those means. The other thing you mentioned was was anti-spoofing, and that's an area where GT clocks are making massive advances. Our earliest our earliest uh, anti-spoof on the face was based around some machine learning, looking for specific things within the frame, such as mobile phones or pictures, and we're now putting much more advanced machine learning into, into play where it's looking for blinking and, and, and the rate of blinking and the head position and, and facial expression so it can tell that somebody really is real um, rather than. So those things are, are, are really advancing and some of the next iterations of the software that we release um, to you guys and, and to, to your customers will be in, incorporating some of those advances. Um, the third one of the accuracy I think is, 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 is important too. Any biometric has false acceptance, false rejection, um, so those are typically up in the one in a million, but it does mean that someone might be misidentified sometimes. Um, and as, as time goes on, these algorithms are getting better and better, and they're getting more and more accurate, so that the probability of that happening becomes infinitesimally small. Um, so that's, that's, that's a, the further area. So with environment, I think, uh, when you have a fingerprint sensor, it's like a little closed room with perfectly lit with a perfect camera and you put your finger on the thing and, it, and, it, and it's a perfect environment. With facial recognition, there are other factors at play. There's the lighting. If, are you backlit? What's the temperature of that lighting? Can that affect the contrast in the face um, um, depending on different skin tones? So all of those factors come into play. Um, the advances that we're bringing are, are camera advances in terms of you know, infrared versus visible light uh, to work in different lighting environments and that helps with contrast too. We are um, also working to bring a better exposure modes where it exposes the face. Any camera has a dynamic range. The eye is so much better than any camera. So we have to work with the technology to be able to expose the, the image correctly. So constantly our development teams are working and enhancing the technology to be better and better in different environments. And, um, and the latest iteration is, is, is really very good and very fast and can work in a multitude of environments. And I do remember on one of the older iterations, I had to go out to one of the sites. It was an LTC facility. The lighting was atrocious. And, you know, they just expected to be able to throw this clock on the wall and be able to recognize everybody. And that just isn't how this works. And it was, there was a lot of people who wouldn't recognize at all. Other people that took a while to recognize. And we went on site and ended up, you know, checking the lighting and everything. And we moved it to a new spot where the lighting was much better. It was funny because even the people that it recognized prior to the move, it rec started recognizing everybody. But even the people it recognized before, they were like, wow, this is so much faster. Because the, you know, the clock doesn't have to do as much work because the lighting's so much better. It can you know, click on things right away. So, I mean, it's very important. Less so with the infrared you know, cameras we got now. But back then, it was so important where you put this clock and everything. There was a lot more thought needed to be put in. It wasn't like normal old clocks, just... Where are the people coming in? Just throw it up right there. We're good to go. You know, they needed to set things up a little better for these clocks. But now with the infrared, we're finding it's almost anywhere it's good as long as, you know, the backlighting's not too overwhelming or anything like that. But the advances have been great. I like you brought in the infrared to it. Um, 
and how that's improved our ability to to find a face in in environments where the lighting, while it still matters, doesn't matter as much. Um, but that's historically been an issue with any camera. You know, we've uh, had clients 20 years ago that they could punch in the morning, couldn't punch out in the afternoon. And those hand geometry devices were being thrown off because it was facing a west window. And now the sun's coming down and, and uh, changing the image. Um, but with, uh, with the addition of the infrared to the cameras, it's, it's made a big difference as well. We did evaluate Palm and we found it was not mature, unreliable at best. Um, and why would you want to do something different? Why are we always looking for something different when we've got facial? Facial recognition is mainstream. Um, iris is not mainstream, you know, and people are more happy to use their, you know, use their face because it's about adoption. They're having their, their pictures taken by CCTV every single day. Um, and let's face it, we're not trying to stop people getting into Fort Knox. We're just trying to stop people from plunging in. So it feels like why use more and more technology, more and more secure technology when actually the best technology is what we already have. More and more secure, more and more invasive. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you for being on Breadcrumbs. I've learned a lot about biometrics. I appreciate the time. Thanks for having us, Kim. Thanks, Thanks for having us.